Our text for today is found in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. It's a a Father's Day message, believe it or not. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Luke 15, starting at verse 11, and we'll read right down through verse 24. I think we got it up there. And he said, there was a man, speaking of Jesus, he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to Vegas or to New York or wherever else, maybe the far country in our day and age, backpacking in Europe. And there, what did he do? He squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Hmm, Not surprised. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, now that's a critical key portion of this particular passage. You got to know how to develop a a sensitivity to when a movement takes place, you know, like in a symphony or in a film. You got to know when the time is shifting. There's a shift taking place here. There's a movement taking place here in verse 17. And Jesus wants you and me to see that. He wanted us to catch that as the readers. But when he came to himself, that's an interesting way of putting it. We'll get back to that. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, that's also important as well. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what did he feel? Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to experience the compassion of the father today. He experienced the compassion of the father and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, 
and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This is good news on a good day, on a Father's Day. Amen? I know I told you this is Father's Day. I was thinking of an anniversary message. It's also our anniversary today. It's our 12-year anniversary. Praise God. It's a surprise how it lands on the same day as Father's Day. So I get like a little double treat. Unfortunately, my family is, is still in California, and I was the only one who returned. We, we got my young bro- younger brother hitched, praise God, and so he's married now, and they're enjoying themselves in Italy at the moment as we speak, but it was a joy to be able to take part in that and, and to not only celebrate, but to, to marry those two and to see them uh, starting their new, their new journey. But a fatherhood is also, marriage is one thing, but fatherhood is another experience. You see, I'd be remiss if I didn't preface this message a little bit, because I know I've been around the block and back again long enough to be able to know that before we get a chance to capture the fatherhood of God, I want to be sure you know I understand. We all should understand that not everybody comes to the subject of fatherhood with an open heart, ready to just embrace all that the father is. And some of what explains that is what our experience has been in our upbringing. In some of our cases, maybe our father was never around, and we were born out of wedlock. And we were born into a situation where our fathers were absent from the gate. Others of us may have had our father around at the early stages, but because of one thing after another, and it could vary from person to person, that father was no longer around, and we've had to live with that loss, along with the pain. And then there are others of us, maybe like myself, where we did have a father, but because of situations outside of both our and our father's control, disease and sickness, my father battled cancer to his last day, we no longer have them around. And so that could actually affect how we come to a message like this. And I want to just acknowledge that at the beginning of this, of this message. There's, there's those of us who, who still have our fathers around, and we're looking at those who are looking at us thinking, oh, you got it good, and we're thinking, man, I wish I was in your situation because simply having them around hasn't really helped much. It's actually been a painful, ongoing, yearly experience living like that. And so it's interesting that you can have this experience and you can have this, this feeling and this history, whether they're present or not. And so in one way or another, we all know what it's like to experience this daddy deprivation, as some like to call it. But I want you to know that there's hope in this message here. That that God didn't bring us to this particular portion of Scripture, and Jesus isn't saying what he's saying so that we can leave this place more hopeless. And I want you to understand that no matter what may have marked your past and lives with you till today, if you belong to Christ, old things are passed away and the new has come. I'm not trying to knock what has happened in the past. I'm not trying to 
dismiss what has happened in the past. God is a just God. And whether he takes action early on or later, God knows how to deal with that. I give that to him. What I'm saying is, I don't want you to miss out on God's purpose on your life through how you're handling your fatherhood experiences. And it can happen if you don't deal with those things rightly. Whether the things going on in the present with fathers that are still around and nothing seems to have happened yet, or whether it has to do with our past where we may wish they were around so we could do what we now know, but they're no longer around. And we have to live with that. The text opens up with a son that comes to this father with a word for him. And he basically just says, look, I want my money. I want my portion of the inheritance. It was customary within this cultural historical time that where um, a, a certain portion of an inheritance was allotted to each child. And depending on which child you were and what sort of a brunt of the responsibility you were going to eventually carry, you would be allotted a certain, a certain amount of an inheritance. And so this kid would come up, this son came forward to his father, and you would think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's the kicker. The father is supposed to die, okay? That's when you get your inheritance. So what's the problem? He's not dead yet. And there's no sign, there's no indication that he's going to be dead anytime soon. And yet the son is still coming to him, wanting his inheritance. So, okay, here's the thing. So what's the message being communicated? He's saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were good as dead. By him asking for this inheritance, by him wanting this money in advance, he's basically saying, I'm wanting what I know under ordinary circumstances is only supposed to belong to me upon your death right now. Meaning, if I had control over your life ending right now, I would if that's what it means to get access to my inheritance. Why do I bring this up? That's the relationship that's existing between this father and this son. Some of us know something like this, don't we? Some of us know people who have relations like this. It's not the best relationship. But what you also, and we also need to know is, it has nothing to do with how the father has been toward the son. You see, in this case, unlike other cases we could bring up, it's not like the father has been blowing it as a dad. And as a result of that, the son is now, no, no, no. What explains why the son wants what he wants has everything to do with what's in the, going on in the son's heart, not so much what's going on in the father's heart. This is going to be important. And so dad, what does dad do? He gives him his inheritance. He gave him his inheritance. In fact, the text even tells us. The father, he says, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and what was given to him. And what did he do? He took this journey to a far country to do what? To live a riotous life. Here you had this, these parents... <laughs> Raising this kid up, he's prodigal. That's, what we, that's why we call him the prodigal son. He's often, he's estranged. And how did he live his life? He took the money that he had and he used his youthful self and his young adult self. We don't know exactly how old he was. And he went off to a place where there would be no accountability. You know what that's like, right? There's going to be no parents, no helicopter mom coming over, checking on me. 
I'm going to be far enough, just far enough, so that I could do whatever I want to do without any sort of consequences, without any sort of repercussions, without anybody in my face, in my grill, nagging at me, telling me, now you know that's not how you were raised. Now you know if your dad was here, you know what he would say. Now you know what your mom would do. That's what we do. You know what's interesting? Things haven't changed, have they? It's very interesting when you live this critical age. I think this is important for all of us at this age because many of us are adulting. We're in transition mode. If we're not there already, full-fledged adulthood, all on our own, independent, we're in that transition period, which means with that transition comes more and more freedom to do whatever with our lives. And the question is, what are we going to do with those lives? What are we going to do with those freedoms? Here, we don't see the best example, do we? But I'm glad that it's in the text. I'm glad that it shows me. Why am I glad? Because I see myself in there. I see myself at some point in time. Even now, I see what I'm capable of outside of the grace of God. This man went off out of his sense. That's what sin is. Sometimes we try to figure out sin, don't we? We try to put it into the lab and, and try to see what is the reason. Of, no, 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 there's no reason to sin. There's no rhyme or reason, in fact. That's the definition of sin. It's irrational. How many of you are with me where we, we just go, all you have to do is look back at one point in time or event or situation. Some of us got friends around to remind us. And I'm like, what was I thinking joining that crowd? What was in my mind at the time to be able to find myself in that place, in that position? How did I ever take this body and get myself to be caught up with that, right? Sometimes a little distance gives us a better perspective, but when you're in the thing, it's hard. It's hard. That's why we got to give grace to one another. That's why we got to... Never forget how we were there at one point in time because when we find loved ones, when we find friends, when we find people who may frequent through church but are also caught up in other areas, we've got to realize how to approach them. We've got to approach them like this particular situation. Jesus brings them up to be able to tell us outside of the grace of God, this was all of us. We were all off. We all had a a far country. It may have not been as far as New York, but we all got far enough from the kind of people that mattered enough to us that we knew better enough not to do anything like that around to be able to get caught up. And Jesus singles this person out. And so he takes this father's livelihood. He takes his inheritance. He takes everything that belongs to him, and he goes off and he wastes it away. But notice what the text says. In verse 16, it says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself. Oh, that's good. This is good. You know what this speaks to? This speaks to the grace of God. This speaks to the gospel. This speaks to hope. This speaks to no matter how down and out I may be, no matter how much of a lost case I may find myself to be, if God is capable, he's able to rescue me from any plight, from any situation, from any dilemma. It doesn't matter. I want somebody to be encouraged because some of us have cousins. Some of us have loved ones. Some of us have relatives. Some of us have people who mean something to us 
who are still in this state, who haven't yet come to themselves, who haven't yet come to their senses, and we're wondering, based on what we see, there's no hope. I don't see anything coming out of this. I don't see this situation turning at all. Yeah, they may have been in children's ministry. They may have gone to youth group. But as far as what they're doing with their life, I cannot see how somebody caught up like that could ever see their life changed. But that's not the way the Christian. That's not the way that somebody who has tasted and seen that God is good, that somebody who has experienced the grace of God should speak. In Jesus, there's always hope, no matter what things look like. Notice what it says. But then he came to himself. Which is to say, he finally woke up. He got woke. He got woke to everything. What he was caught up with, what he was doing to himself. And he says, wait a second here. What am I doing? Why do I have this bottle in my hand? Why do I have this blunt? And here and here and where are my pants? And who are these people? And why does my face look like that? And who are you? <laughs> right? He came to himself. You see, that's what God does. He doesn't have to wait for you to come to church to all of a sudden get cleaned up. You could be wherever you are. You could be in that frat house. You could be at that house. You could be across town. You could be on a campus. You could be with him, with her. It doesn't matter. God's grace reaches anybody wherever they're at. And this is news to tell. Look how far he was. Jesus, it's no accident. He said that it was a far country, but it wasn't far enough for God's grace. What does it mean that he came to himself? He finally arrived at the point where he was beginning to look at his situation the way he should have looked at it all along, is what he's saying. Sometimes it took us too long, but I'm glad it happened anyways. And here it says he came to himself came to himself. In other words, he realized, wait a second, this doesn't match how I was brought up. I got parents who love the Lord. I got a grandma who's probably praying for me right now. I got memories right now that I could go back to of family devotions and mom's opening up the Bible and just giving me a scripture and dad's texting me and times in which I was in youth camp and youth group and it's like, how do I take all of that and end up right here. Exactly. Exactly. You see, train up a child in the way that he will go. And when he is older, huh, he won't depart from it. You see? Yes, this may have been a, a season where he, he detoured. But God's grace never stops. And here, it's at work in his life. And it's beginning to raise him up. You may be looking at situations right now in your relationships with people that you've been praying for, that you have been pleading with God for. Maybe someone is here today where in all outward senses, you've been around church and religion, but if the truth be told, you're as far from God as this person physically was from his physical dad. And I want you to know that there's hope even for you. The Bible tells us that not only did he come to himself, it says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He's like, wait a second here. I'm here in this pig's mire. 
And I got servants that got it better than I do in my father's house. I could be there right now. And the only thing that's keeping me is me. That's hard. That's a hard place to put. I don't know about you, but for me, it's very tempting to want to lodge what explains why I'm still caught up in my dysfunction on him or on her or on them. And I'm glad this person is realizing he's coming to himself, which means he's saying, look, I'm not going to pass the buck off to anybody else anymore. I'm not going to play the victim card. I'm going to come to terms with myself, which is the beginning of freedom, the beginning of transformation, the beginning of change in one's life, either in coming to faith in Christ or coming out of a struggle is this. I can't any longer give myself or others the reason for why I am in the state that I am because of them or that person or this person. Part of coming to myself means I own it. He wasn't prepared to do that all of his life, which is what caught him, which is what brought him to the far country in the first place. He was on the run. He was like Jacob. What was wrong with Jacob? Jacob was always living out of another identity. Jacob was always on the run. Jacob lived in perpetual anxiety over Laban and over Esau. He never knew how to arrive at that place where he can come to terms with himself until God met him. He was in a far country, but God found him anyways. An angel of the Lord, better yet, came down and met him where it was. Jacob didn't have to be in the right place to find God. God found him anyways, and he wrestled with him. Even till if it took till the breaking of the day, God wrestled him down until Jacob became who? Israel, a man who strives with God, a man who came to himself. What was it going to take for Jacob to be blessed by God? Jacob had to come to himself. What is your name? Jacob, you're right that your name is Jacob. You shall now be called Israel. Why was he right? Because up till then, Jacob would have never referred to himself as Jacob. For the first time in Jacob's life, he referred to himself by his actual name. What's the point? In order for us to be able to enter into the life that God has for us, in order for us to experience the true Christian life that God has for us, we can't run away from ourselves. We can't continue to present an image and a representation of ourselves that's not accurate. It's painful to come to terms with myself, but God never leaves me there. God wasn't, the father is not going to leave this son here. God didn't leave Jacob as Jacob. As soon as he admitted who he truly was, what did he do? He gave him a new identity. God doesn't want to call you out to call you out. God loves you. God wants you to see who you can be with him in your life. But the only way that's going to happen is by us coming to ourselves. Maybe somebody here needs to come to themselves. It's tempting to want to think, nah, I'm just going to live in denial. I'm just going to stay right here as things are because it's comfortable. It's convenient. It's what I know. I'm used to this. I don't know what you're talking about. That's different. That's foreign. I'm sure this son probably thought the same thing. But then he lived in the far country for a while to say, you know what? 
That's, this isn't getting me anywhere. Sticking to my guns isn't getting me anywhere. Just saying, give me my money. I'm going to be my own self. I'm going to make my own path. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to do me. Okay. And now he's with pigs. <laughs> and now he's hiring himself out to just anybody who's in town for any sort of job. Where is his life headed? Nowhere. That's not where you want to head. That's not what the Father has for you. He wants you to have more. He wants you to be blessed. He wants to be in your life, which is what the blessing is. But the only way that can happen is by you realizing, I can't do this like the son said on my own. Look at where it has ended me up. This ain't good. That's coming to yourself. And what did he say? He says, I will arise. The text says, I will arise, verse 18, and go to my father. Oh, this is good. Why? Notice who he said he's going to go to. This is how I know the reason why he left in the, in the first place with the inheritance had nothing to do with the father, but had everything to do with the son. How is that? Because who's the first person that the son wants to go to after he finally wants to get things right with his life? His father. Who's the first person you had in mind when you first got saved who you wanted to share the story with? I can go back when I first got saved. I remember there were a handful of people that immediately came to my mind that whose houses I went to, whose doors I knocked on, whose numbers I called up because of what I remember, what investment they made in my life, the sort of presence they had in my life, the sort of picture that they gave me of them while I was a non-believer. You see, this son has a good picture of his father. You know what's going to get you back? You may be stuck. You may find yourself down the road in trouble. You may have been there before, but I tell you this, you don't have to remain there. And what's going to get you out, what gets anybody out of the mess that they get themselves in in the first place is what picture you end up having of God. If you got a picture of God that, oh, no, I ain't going back now. I blew it. I, I ran out. I ran out of my coins. I can't go back to him now. I got nothing left. All I'm going to receive is judgment. All I'm going to receive is chastisement. All I'm going to receive is the back of his hand. I'm not going back there. All I'm going to hear is, I told you so. How come that wasn't his case? It was because even though the father may have no control over the son wanting to do what he's chosen to do with his life right now, he did take advantage of his time with him while he had him. That's critical. Some of you may have the opportunity to eventually be fathers. I want you to hear this. And some of you may have not had this. And I want you to know, don't bring that into your adulthood as you. You have a chance to change, the, to flip the script. You have a chance to rewrite the story because now you get a chance to take your cues from your father in heaven. We want to have the kind of a relationship with people where when they're in tough times, the people that they think of are us. That's a challenge, isn't it? To be able to hold the standard and at the same time show grace. Where people are in difficult situations, the last thing you want is the last thing you want is for them to run away from the church. It's like, okay, you made a mess. All right, you made a bad decision. Okay, the consequences are still with you. All right, I see it. I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to be hard. I know it may not be able to be easily erased. But I need you to know. I need to make sure that 
what picture you have of God and the people of God at the church is right. That's what scares me. What scares me is not when you, you, me, us, God's people get into trouble. That's not what scares me. What scares me is what you end up deciding to do as soon as you get into trouble. And I'm afraid, and I'm concerned, and I want to make sure that as we go forward as a group and as a body, while we have each other, before anybody gets into any sort of serious trouble with their lives, maybe they didn't even plan for it, maybe they didn't even anticipate it, but they got themselves in it in the first place. I want to be the kind of church that presents the right kind of a picture of the Father and also the right kind of a picture of us as representative of the Father to where I may have made a mess, it may well be sin, it may have been wrong, but I, with the years that I've had with my church and the picture that has been presented, I know I can go back to my church. I know that there are going to be people there who are going to help me, who are going to pick me up, and who are going to help me have a new day, a new beginning, a new opportunity. This isn't the end. I'm glad this son had that. Yes, he may have made a mess of his life, but that wasn't the end of his story. That wasn't the end of his life. And what gave him even the, the, the chance, the reason of mind to even think that he had another opportunity? It was his father. And what is father? I want this. I want this. Look, things are good with the kids at this age. It's cute. It's lovely. Nice. I know those teenage years is coming. I know those teenage years is coming. That's why I'm working with youth now so I can get prepared. <laughs> get used to it. And I know it's going to be tough. And I know that my authority is going to shift from authority to influence. And one of the ways I'm going to be able to speak in their life is less and less by what they're to do and not do and more through influence. And therefore, I want this father's relationship to this son. I want that ability to where I can show my love. This was love for him to send him off. I know it's hard. In some of our cultures, love is, I'm going to hold on to you. Love is, who you marry? Why don't you just marry him and y'all move right into the house, right? Buy a house next door. Love is... You're all in my business. But this father had the ability to release the child. Not because he was endorsing what the son wanted to do with his life. Not because he was in approval, but because he realized sometimes there are some things that we need to learn ourselves. There's some ways in which God only works when you and me pass through it on our own. And this man, this son, had to pass through it on his own. But what does the father say? While he was afar off, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the father. All these years while this son, we don't know exactly, the uh, text doesn't indicate how long this son has been gone, but he's been gone long enough to crush the hopes of this father. And yet, this father never allowed his hopes to die. He remained hopeful that there was a chance that this son may come. Just imagine every day he's looking out and he sees nobody. and The townspeople are looking at him like, look at this fool and what his religion has done to him. You still thinking that that son of yours is going to come? 
and he has to just dismiss one thought after another. He says, no, I got faith in my God. Until one day he sees this figure, this shadowy figure coming, coming down toward wherever he is, and he realizes as he's getting closer and closer, wait a second here, is that, is that my boy? He's got a little, little goatee now, a little, little beard, and huh? Wow, is that him? That's my son. While he was a long way off, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion, and he saw, and he received him. And the Bible says, quick, grab a ring, put the ring on his finger, get some sandals, get some kicks on his feet, get some clean sneaks on those feet, get a polo gown and polo robe around his back. <laughs> Let's go grab some turkey or some beef or some fried tip and Let's slaughter the fatted calf. We're about to have a party. Why? Because my son was dead and he's now alive. You see, he remained hopeful. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. I love that proverb. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, you got to hope, but it's deferred, meaning it doesn't come as fast as you want it. Ooh, that's painful. It makes the heart sick. It's like, wow, because you don't know when. And you're just sitting on it. You're just holding on to it. And people don't help at all. But when the desire comes, when the sun came, it's like a tree of life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Imagine the joy that was restored to this home. Imagine the glory that God got. Imagine the sheer pleasure that this father found in being able to see his father in heaven vindicated. I knew you were good. I knew you were good. I, I wasn't trying to hear them. I know they were giving me this and that, but I was like, nah. But I didn't know how long, how much longer I could go because it was hard. I got to admit, I was beginning to believe some of the rap, but I held on. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I held on anyways because I knew your promises are always true for your people. And he held on. Somebody needs to hold on today. Somebody needs to hold on and realize maybe you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, this is no use. I see how God is working for them. I see how church is doing for them. But for me, it seems like it's taken me in the opposite direction every time. And I want to let you know, there's hope today. Because Jesus is alive and well today. You see, this father is showing us the fatherhood of God. We need this compassion. We need to know this. I want you to be praying for this. Maybe if this is absent in the fathers in your life, I want you to be praying for this. I want you to be asking your God, your father in heaven, God, what I see here with this father, which I know is true about you, would you put that in my father? Some of us, have a father that embodies these things, you need to be thanking God more regularly with the father that you have because there's many people surrounding your life who have not had the advantage or the chance to be able to have a father that gives them a second and a third and a fourth chance. A father even present to be able to give a chance, to show compassion, who's willing to jump on you and not tell you, I told you so, but to kiss you and to welcome you and to not make you own it. That's our Father. That's our Father who's rich in mercy, who's forgiven our sins and He's prepared to remove them, as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. East and west never touch. 
They never kiss. They never meet. And that's how far God has removed your sins from you if you belong to Jesus today. This is what brings you back home. Nobody wants to come back to God after what they've been caught up with. Nobody wants to come back to church after what they're ashamed of if they don't have a right picture of God. Before I could ever have a right assessment of myself, I need to have a right assessment of God. It works in that order. As soon as I know my God is in this way, it's not to excuse me in my sin. Don't get me wrong. It's not to give me a license to continue in my sin, but it's to let me know when I do fall, I have reason to get back up again. Why? Because of the God that I know. But if you don't know God in this way, you'll never have the, re the reason to get up when you find yourself falling down. Maybe you're here today and you need to return back to God. You really need that challenge and that encouragement to rise. What did he say? I will arise and go back to my Father. Some of you need to rise, figuratively speaking. You need to rise from your stupor. You need to rise from your spiritual sleep. You need to rise from your hopelessness. You need to rise from your discouragement. You need to rise from your doubt in God and in his promises and in anything else being able to be made out of your life than what already has. You need to rise and you need to go back to not anybody else, no counselor, no building. You need to go to your father in heaven who's good. He's a good, good father who loves you. And guess what? You have every reason to believe he's going to receive you with open arms. How so? Because he sent Jesus. Jesus affords you the ability to come back to the Father. He's the fatted calf in this story. Jesus is who we celebrate. It wasn't some, it's not some animal that we're going to slaughter here today to be able to come back and celebrate our Father's reception of us. It's a lamb that has already been slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus was fatted for the slaughter for you and for me. He was treated as one who was sent off to a far country. He was treated and regarded by his father as one who lived a squandered, riotous life, even though he didn't. The Bible says he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He made him to be that son for us, even though he wasn't that son, so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him, so that you and I might have this house party, this housewarming. The reason why there's a housewarming for you today is because there was a Jesus who endured everything that you and I were supposed to endure for our actions and for our life. God's here today. This is time to celebrate. There's a ring he wants to put on your finger. There's a robe he wants to put around you. He wants to call you friend today. He wants to be your bigger brother, brother Jesus. He wants to invite you in. He says, if anybody opens the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with them and they with me. But you've got to rise and come back to the Father. And you've got to see the Father in this way. Let's stand if we could. Father, I know that there is numbness and that there is indifference and there is also probably pain in this room 
as it relates to fathers. I don't have the ability. That's why we're praying to you. I'm asking, Father God, that you would deliver. You are the God of all comfort. And I pray, Lord God, that you would provide that bomb of Gilead, that you would restore the years that the locusts have eaten, that you would make beauty from ashes, that you would take hopeless situations and turn them around and write an entirely different story out of them. Lord God, that you would take our past and turn it around and use it for your glory so that we might see our lives as meaningful. Lord God, may nobody here in this space live in their past. Father, I pray that we not take our experiences here on this earth and project them upon you, Father. I pray, Lord God, that we start with you in everything. Father, I ask if there's anybody who's gone off to a far country, if there's anyone who's strayed and wandered away, if there's anybody who's found themselves stuck, not knowing how they got there, not knowing how they ended up there, not knowing what to do now, Lord, I pray that you not leave that person where they're at. God, I pray that they know that there is hope today, that there is an opportunity today for them to experience a beginning of beginnings. But they've got to rise and know that the place that they've got to go is to you, Father. Lord, would you give them hope again today? Father, I pray that there be no sin no dysfunction, no brokenness, no trouble, no pain that keeps any one of these dear men or women away from the love of God as it's found in the Father. God, I pray that the fatherhood of our God, that your heart, Father, be a heart that we lay hold of and that we take with us in our relationships with one another. Father, we thank you for those fathers of ours that are present. Whether they've lived up to the expectations or not, we bless them. Not because of their perfection, but because of you, Lord God, and your purposes in putting them in our life. God, we ask that you strengthen them. We ask that you give them grace. God, we ask that you help them to be able to rise to the challenge to be the men and the fathers that you've created them and redeemed them to be. God, I thank you for Pathway. And I thank you for the future fathers. No doubt that you are raising up in this assembly. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for your hand to be heavily placed upon them. We don't need a child to begin this process. Do it now, I pray right now, Holy Spirit. I ask for a special anointing and a grace to rest upon each and every man so that with the possibility and the likelihood of future fatherhood potential, I ask, Lord God, that you would begin now investing in them what they're going to need to be the men to rise to the challenge so that they can demonstrate and express the fatherhood of God to their children, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Please meet and greet.